I'm just a, a curious cat who, you know, just wants to figure out everything before it's all over. What led you to starting Guy in Dubai? Dubai is a place where big ideas can happen. Paris Norris, a maverick, an explorer, and the mastermind behind Guy in Dubai and Guy in the Sky. His journey is a symphony of courage, discovery, and unyielding inspiration. How did you convince them to get into that boat? Prepare yourself for the hardest 48 hours of your life. I'm looking around and I'm like, yeah, we've got, we've got a cargo ship, but it's about 20 nautical miles away. Yeah. We're, we're fine. And it's starting to come like very close, 800 meters away from us, <sighs> coming like that. <laughs> and we're just seeing the ship bigger than the Titanic. Oh my God. Getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger. Five seconds after you close the door, the boat went. <laughs> Wow. upside down and I see two people just disappear into the <laughs> and I'm like oh my god <laughs> and I'm like what are we gonna do okay so I'm gonna do something a little bit interesting you know because uh, with a lot of times I usually just introduce people and say okay this is their name and this is what they do but I I wanted to make this a bit more dramatic. <laughs> so listen to my intro. Okay, so welcome to Xeno Talks, where we dive deep into the lives and stories of fascinating individuals from around the world. Today, we're joined by the remarkable Paris Norris, adventurer, entrepreneur, and the visionary behind Guy in Dubai and Guy in the Sky. Paris embodies the spirit of chasing dreams and breaking barriers. From the tranquil landscapes of the UK, Paris's journey is nothing short of extraordinary. So fasten your seatbelts, dear listeners, as we embark on a journey of discovery, passion, and inspiration. Here's our session with the indomitable Paris Norris. Awesome. <laughs> I like it. I like it. I might copy-paste that and put it on my website. <laughs> Oh well, Paris. You know, uh, you know. Yes, this is one one thing. I mean, but you know, you are you've always been known as guy in Dubai, and then uh, you know, guy in the sky. And uh, mashallah, your your videos been streaming around the world. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on OSN. It's on so many different platforms. It's up in the sky in Etihad, Emirates, Fly Dubai, um, uh, Air Arabia, there's Air Anglia. I think there's so there's so many mm. different platforms let's before i go into all of this and and, and i think of course we're also going to touch upon the the latest um adventure that you just embarked on with the team you know uh, rowing across the pacific ocean you know from san francisco to hawaii we there's so much to talk about but so little time but we'll try to squeeze in as much as possible for the audience so let's start with you first tell us a little bit about yourself and then we'll go into your adventures right about <laughs> myself well i mean the way i look at it is i'm, I'm just a, a curious cat who you know just wants to figure out everything before it's all over you know and yeah. just as much as i can and enjoy life and um you know we have to make a living so i'm constantly trying to figure out how how i can do the things i want to do and experience the world and keep sustaining it, you know, yeah, keep yeah. keeping it alive, making it not just something for me, but for other people, you know, I employ people who enjoy the same journey as I do, and that's rewarding. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really it. It's funny because 
I sort of feel like I'm not really thinking about it. It's just a frequency that I'm reverberating around. Yeah. You know, it just feels natural to me that what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, I don't have to uh, uh, plan too much. It kind of comes to me because it, mm. it is me. You yeah. Know? yeah. Uh, rather than trying to fit a criteria mm. of, of something that, that, yeah. that I'm trying to, um, trying to do. You know? And I think that's what I did do for a long part of my life. So, yeah. so I'm quite happy now that I'm doing what's right. You know, you know, Paris, like if when I think of you, you remind me of like Indiana Jones meets Bear Grylls meets Sir David Attenborough and all these guys like you, you, you literally you encapsulate all these things because you are, you know, a conservationist as well. Like you, you care about the environment, you're. You're, 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 you speak at these huge, big events, the gala dinners, like you send a, a message across as well. Like even when you do get invited, I've seen you speak at, conf at, at, at conferences or at events, you don't just, you know, you won't just talk about the actual topic itself at the event, but you'll send out like a deep message and what you do. So where does all of this come from? Like who inspired you? Were these individuals that I mentioned people that you looked up to or? It's, what happened? Yeah. The, I mean, you probably picked on three of my biggest heroes when I was a kid. Oh, yeah? Uh, Indiana Jones to the point that our show guy in Dubai is internally, I mean, we don't say necessarily say this on the outside, but to us, it's a, we're creating a modern day Indiana Jones. That's what me and my editor talk about all the time. How, how, do, we, how do we create a, a, a reality version of Indiana Jones? That, mm. Because that's what I used to watch as a kid, and I was like, that was my hero. Yeah, okay. Right? Yeah, and, yeah. and effectively, when I got to 30 years old, I was like, right, all of the heroes that I had and all the things that they did, yeah. I want to be all of that. Like, yeah. what's stopping me now? You know, when you've got your health and you got the, your, uh, you've got ability to do things, yeah. uh, that's what I've sort of been doing for the last eight years. So, yeah, Bear Grylls was a massive inspiration because he was the first guy who sort of, you know, created this... Uh, this show about survival, which was always something that as a kid, that was mm -hmm. how I used to uh, spend my time. I lived in a forest, yeah, right? Yeah. And I yeah. would go out and try and discover, like, uh, discover the forest, to go out with my friends, see if we could survive for three days without any food mm. or water, <laughs> purifying water from puddles and like, you know, eating <laughs> stinging nettles from making stinging nettle tea out of it and all these things that we used to do. I had this book called The, uh, the Boy's Handbook, which was like a, basically like a sort of boys camping survival yeah, yeah. book yeah. which I used to live by yeah. and I remember I was I went to see a buddy of mine in New York and he was like oh do you ever watch Bear Grylls I'm like mm. what's that <laughs> he's like you're gonna love this guy yeah, yeah. Right? And, and he just put it on and, yeah. and and I was just infatuated by it so mm. so yeah th those are the the guys that I looked up to um and uh I suppose another one I used to really love as a kid, as in the same way I loved Indiana Jones, I also mm. loved uh, 007. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I just loved the suaveness of it yeah. and just the, I guess, the risk-taking, adventurer uh, style of everything was always just, I just, I want to be, that's what I want to do in my life. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I was going to say, because uh, there are some people, I think, I'm not sure in the UK, but I know in the US they've got like Boy Scouts and stuff like yeah. this. And then that kind of like drives them into this. Even with Bear Grylls, I mean, he was in the British Special Forces, right? Mm -hmm. So like, tell us you growing up as a kid, did you, you give us an example of what you did with your with your friends in the forest, but like, was it something in a program in school or anything like that? Did you have to um, go on some kind of like an expedition? 
So interestingly, RE rejected everything that was sort of organized in that way. So we have things like the Duke of Edinburgh yeah. uh, Award, which is sort of, you know, sort of outdoor adventure award. We have Boy Scouts. Mm. Uh, you know, when I was 18 and leaving school, um, I was a great athlete. It was an option to go into the army or the navy. Mm. I look back on it and kind of think that maybe I should have done. But mm. the thing that I was rejecting all, all back in those times is I didn't really like the institu institution of everything. I didn't mm. like the structure of everything. And and I've always been a bit more free form. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, you know, whether that's a, a strength or a weakness, I don't know. But the uh, I think I always wanted to do it slightly my way rather than mm. have to do a program. And, you know, with, with the military, it was a sort of three, five-year commitment. So I uh, I rejected it on those basis, but I always loved what was going on in, in those kind of uh, yeah. uh, institutions. Yeah, yeah. You know, not a lot of people are able to transform or to take their passion, you know, to a business as well. It's very, very difficult because sometimes they're, two, they're almost like two schools of thought that you hear sometimes. Some people say, you know, start a business or do something, you know, that you have a passion for. Some people say, no, like do something that serves a purpose for, for all. You know, so if you take an example of someone like Mark Zuckerberg, he's, he set up Facebook not because he wanted to make money or whatever. It was, he, he was shy to talk to his current wife and then he created a platform so that he could connect with somebody else. So it was, it was for all these introverts and shy guys who could connect with people that would eventually end up marrying or whatever, mm. you know, but how did you manage to, because it, it, it's, it's a very difficult thing. Not a lot of people are able to monetize their passion. How do you do this? How did you get into this part? Yeah, well, I had an idea of how it could be done. Hmm. And I had already exercised my entrepreneurial kind of flair. And hmm. I'd set up a few businesses and I knew that I could do that. So if you if you have, um, you know, I had a model which was to create a TV show where we got sponsors on and sold it to stations. And then I could enjoy my passion, which is the, the content of what's going in it. Hmm. Um, the question then was, is how long is it going to take me? Hmm. Because that's the that's the bit that is uh, yeah. uh, unforeseeable. But I realized, so I realized if it's a passion, time is your friend, yeah. right? So it may not work out in the first year, two years, three years yeah. um, financially. In fact, for me, it took a really long time financially. Mm. Um, it may have not appeared like that on the outside, but it was difficult financially for a long time. Um, but time is your friend because it's your passion. So you can continue working through it. And a really good example of that is in COVID. Yeah. COVID hit and it brought our business down to zero, like yeah. dead zero, zero revenue. Unfortunately, we couldn't keep the staff on anymore. So it was zero staff. So yeah. it was back to just me again. But it was my passion. Mm. So there was no other option. I was going to continue pushing through it. Yeah. I knew I had an asset, which was, you know, everything we had created, mm -hmm. whether it was intangible or tangible. Um, so I kept going. Now, if it wasn't my passion, that would have been a time to quit. Mm. That, and so effectively, you can only go for so long doing something that you're not really passionate about. And the only 
reason why you do it is because you want it, you want it to finish as quickly as possible and you want to make as much money out of it as quick as possible. But yeah. The problem is, is if you don't do that, mm. then you're drawn in and yeah. it usually takes everything. Yeah. Everything in life takes a lot longer than you expect. 100%. So you end up being drawn in. You had this three-year plan to set something up and sell it off to somebody in three years. But now you're drawn in 20 years later yeah. and you're only now at the point where you can do that. Yeah. So, But if you're enjoying the journey, then first of all, it doesn't matter if it takes 20 years because you enjoyed it. That was yes. what, what you want to do. Second of all, like it's not really about cashing in and getting out. It's It's about you know, building it and make, you know, enjoying your life and, yeah. and working with the types of people you want to work with. And, yeah. and, you know, life is too important and valuable to be making sacrifices. Yeah. So I think, I think if you, you're finding that you're having to make large sacrifices for things, you, it's, it's probably not yeah. a good thing. I mean, we, of course we have to make sacrifices sometimes, yeah. but I, I think the one thing that I, I had come to terms with is I started to understand money as freedom tokens yeah right so i looked at it that way because the only reason that we were i was trying to earn some money is so that really i had the freedom to spend time with my family go on holiday when i want to buy yeah. the things i want to do the things i want to so yeah. money had that way of having freedom but it was weird because what i was doing in order to get it was sacrificing yeah. all my freedom working from yeah. the moment i woke to the moment i slept trying to do it yeah so if, if that was a zero sum game, yeah. you know, so you have, so I thought, no, I need to find a way that it's not a sacrifice of time, that actually the time is worth it too. And that you're actually gaining financially and mm. you're not sacrificing your time mm. you're, because the time is what you would want to be doing. Yeah. You know, you, you came to the UAE like just a few hours after graduating from university, right? Yeah. I mean, how did you know that this was the place that was going to allow you to fulfill like your dreams your passion and all of these things that we just talked about but then you know because a lot of the times like we said earlier when you look at adventurers a lot of the times those individuals uh most of that come from like western countries or in western countries there's an appetite for that there's there's a there's a huge sort of like uh, media sector that that is willing to throw money into this and individuals that are willing to go and live in the forest and whatever and document that you know you see when you watch doc, you know uh, discovery channel national geographic all of these things it's always those people in those part of the world and whatever but like here you don't see a lot of people in that space and how did you believe that you'd be able to succeed in the uae um and 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 obviously you know uh attract sponsorship as well because it's very very difficult like j just doing an event just getting a sponsor for an event is difficult imagine getting for a whole production mm. so that's what i want to know well when i first came i didn't have the idea of guy in dubai in my head okay uh so i i came here to set up a business okay uh, that was all i had in mind in, um, in what exactly? I set it up in I set up a price comparison site for insurance. Oh, cool! So I set up a tech business. Um, so the the thought process was: I'm leaving university. It was a financial crisis and everything was tumbling down. I had a finance degree, so <laughs> I was like, "Right, give yourself the best chances. Go work somewhere uh -huh. that's got a fast growing place. If you're gonna get, I always believe that if you, um, but Dubai was in trouble at that time too. Not at quite. the financial crisis. Oh, okay. Remember, it hit here about a year later. Yeah. Okay. Or, or yes. A bit after, yeah. So. Yeah. Because it's. I think it was two thousand eight, and then it was like 
2009. And that it hit 10, here. Yeah, 9, 10. Yeah. Yes, at all that time. Ooh. So, I mean, I could see it was looming here. Like, like something was going to happen. It, I knew that it wasn't going to be, like, invincible to it. Yeah. But what I saw was a vision and a plan. Okay. And some serious ambition. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's going to keep going. Okay. You know? you know, so, so, and I was right. Yeah. And I believe it's going to continue going. You know, if you look at what's happened here in the last uh, 14 years since I came, it's a lot more than anywhere else. Oh, it yeah. wasn't as fast as what was happening before. Yes. But that's yeah. not what matters. Uh -huh. The fact is, it still kept rolling. So, um, yeah, I thought getting experience internationally is uh, is an asset. You know, it's it's something, it's a, it's a more in-depth learning experience. But you can't do it as easily when you're a bit older and you've got kids and things. It's much easier to do when you're younger. So I thought, yeah. right, get out there, do it now, uh -huh. set up a business. And, you know, these were my first days out of university. So um, everywhere was really new. And even my home country was new in terms of me working in it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I just came out and I, I saw the, uh, the, the way things were going. They, they said at the time that, I can't remember the statistic. Was it 35% of the world's yeah. trains were in Dubai at that yeah, time? Yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy place, you yeah, remember, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and the place was rumors, you know, that they were building this and this was happening. And and, yeah. and who knew what actually was happening? And yeah, yeah. some of it did, some of it didn't. But yes. like the stuff that did was yeah, yeah. was amazing. So, um, so you know, I, I just thought, right, let's, let's do it. Let's go. I knew that the crisis would happen, but I knew that long-term there was there was a, a plan and a vision, and, and that was what I went yeah. for. So then, okay, you set up the price comparison website. You did that. How long did you do that until you... What led you to starting Guy in Dubai? Yeah, so I went through a few different businesses. I mean, to summarize it shortly, in the sense that they worked until they didn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like like say, all of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all in the same boat. Yeah. We, we, we know that. Yeah. So like a lot of people say like, all right, failed. Or like if something failed, it was like, well, it worked. <laughs> and then it failed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like we got it off the ground, we made some money and then yeah. we didn't anymore. Yeah, we didn't, yeah. Yeah, so, um, so effectively they, they didn't work out in the end. Um, and after a few failures, that was when the realization hit home that like, I wonder how long I'm going to keep going doing that, you mm. know, like sacrificing Christmas Day to work on my plan, and then three months later, it's down the drain. Yeah. Um, and I thought this this could go on forever. There's no, it's not, it's not guaranteed that you're going to keep doing it and be successful at some point. You might keep doing it and not yeah. be successful. Exactly. And that's a possibility also. So I thought, well, I've got to at least enjoy the time that I'm doing. And this is when this epiphany came because I, I had to think about. What is it I would really love to do if I was given total freedom? I didn't have to work for money, uh, you know. And, and I was just sat there at my desk, just gazing at the space, going, "If I could do anything, you know, I'd want to live like Indiana Jones, <laughs> and I'd want to live like you know, 007 and and uh, Bear Grylls, and I'd want to do adventures, big challenges. Yeah. I, I I like extravagant parties. Mm. I like traveling. Um, I love to spend the right times with my family. Mm. You know, like it, you don't have to be there all the time, but you have to be there when it, when it counts. So you have to have the freedom to do that. So um, these things, I kind of painted the picture and I was like, okay, how am I going to do that? And it was just a really quick thing. I was like, oh, why don't I create a TV show about a guy who goes and does like extreme things like this? Because 
Dubai is a place where big ideas can happen. Yeah. So, you know, they, they were at the time doing those adverts where they're flying jetpacks along oh, the Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. And the guy's jumping <laughs> off the Burj Khalifa. So I thought... I'm surprised you didn't do that yet. Yeah, well, so well, I'd love to. So, so, but it was those kind of things that made me think, well, if this is how they're promoting the city, then maybe I can get involved in those things and promote the city. Yeah. And if I'm promoting the city, then there's some value. You see, yeah. you can't have any kind of business hmm. that, that doesn't give value to other people. Yeah. Right. So if it's promoting the city, it's giving value to the tourism sector. Yeah. Um, if uh, it's a TV show that we can do really well, then it's giving value as entertainment to people who want to watch it. Mm. So I always have to think about anything. If you're not creating value, then there's really not going to be any commercial uh, element to Mm. it. Um, But I thought if I could, I I sort of had this idea of, right, I need a TV station that has the viewership, Mm. right? Then a sponsor is going to come on. Exactly. uh, And they will, if I get the sponsors on, then they'll create the production. Like I have the money to create the production. But the production is the thing I need to sell to the station. So I've got this kind of like triangle, but it's a catch-22. Yeah, yeah. Like, how do I... Chicken and egg. You yeah. don't know what to start first. Yeah, because you do. You do need the money first to start this. Oh, my God. Each yeah. one needed the other one before it could yeah. become a reality. So you just basically... But also the other thing, I think it's like, how do you know that your pitch is going to actually sell? Because they'd be like, okay, you know, I think if it was somebody who was probably more established, if it was like any of the names we mentioned, like if it was Bear Grylls coming, saying, hey, I want to do this, probably everybody and their mother would throw their money on it. Mm. But you're coming in, this is new, you, were, you had a couple of other businesses and you're starting. So then that also becomes the other difficult part to convince people, right? Look, it's, when I look back on it, I, I, I look back and think, wow, Paris, like the fact you got that off the ground yeah. is amazing. Because yeah. now, now things are a lot easier. Because yeah. now I've got a little bit of reputation and I've yeah. got a backlog of things and, you know, I've got things in place. So yeah. now raising money yeah. for sponsorship is easier. And also, it must be difficult when you're trying to be guy in Dubai and your name is Paris. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I know. I, I like, Paris in Dubai. Wait a second. Yeah. yeah. Like, because already, I mean, no, but on a serious note, because I worked in tourism and I know for Dubai, they're literally competing with cities like Paris and Barcelona to rank number one, Uh, like, you know, so you probably be defying their their goal because you're keeping on reminding people about Paris because every time they Paris, like, oh, Eiffel died, I want to go back to Paris, you know, or whatever. So that must have been something, right? I mean, I know it's a joke, but maybe it could be, did anybody bring it up? You know, a lot of things, you know, we realized that we trapped ourselves with a name. (laughs) Firstly, By putting the location of where we're dealing with, yeah. it restricts us just to that place. Um, yeah. So, Which I did tell you this. You did. You did. Yeah, I remember you told <laughs> so me a long many time times. ago. I told you. I was like, why? You're great. This yeah. has so much potential. It could be anywhere in the world. Well, we Guy did, in the world. We did think, like, <laughs> Dubai is a wacky place. We want to do this in Dubai. Yeah. Guy in Dubai. It rhymes. It's cool. Uh, and it was all of that. But now you want to do something in Saudi Arabia. Who are you? Guy yeah, in Dubai. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. don't want Guy yeah. in Dubai. <laughs> uh, so, so I created Guy in the Sky. Ah. Right. Yeah. So guy, guy in the Sky. So I, I did that for two reasons. One, it got rid of the boundaries of where we could go. So no. I wanted this to be a travel show. I wanted to open it up to the world so that I could go to different countries and do, do stuff. Um, the Sky element came in because I, wa- I wanted to create a show that was a little bit like a road trip around a country mm-hmm. that we traveled by paramotor. 
mm. which is like a paraglider but with a motor on your back so mm. you can get these yeah. amazing beauty shots yeah, yeah. of landscapes yeah, yeah. flying through valleys over mountains and yeah. it's just and yeah. the, what we've done so far has yeah, just yeah. been incredible yeah the videos on your website by the way guys you should follow uh, Paris Norris on his social media and check out his website I've seen the videos it looks stunning I, I, I love it I'm like oh I should get this sort of I should be a certified pilot oh, you too. should yeah, it looks really cool. You yeah. really should. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll see how much I can convince oh, you yeah. as time goes on. Oh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so uh, Guy in the Sky kind of opened things up to, to everything. And um, uh, we didn't go with a completely different name because we could have called it anything. The reason I wanted to keep the guy in is because what I had built so far, which was... Um, distribution on some big platforms. Amazon Prime was our biggest one. Emirates Airlines was a great one. That was our selling point. So now if we went in with a completely different show, it's like, yeah. well, show me some contracts. Show me some, like, who are you distributing this? So we were all, so what we would do to sponsors, it mm. would say, we've done our season guy in Dubai. We're now doing the season guy in the sky. Make it look like the same thing. Mm. It's gonna go on the same platform. So from their perspective, uh, we're coming at them with some value. We got broadcast reach, right? Yeah. So, so that worked that way. As, but as far as we were concerned, it was a brand new show. Um, but we were just leveraging off of what we already had. So th that's what yeah. uh, when you're talking about Bear Grylls being able to go in and get, basically get sponsors running after him. I realized I'd built something which had the ability to get some interest. Yeah. So to start completely from scratch again would just yeah. be putting that in the bin. So yeah. I that was the way I kind of leveraged one to start the other. Yeah. You know, and, and, and you're able to sort of like push yourself and like I said in the beginning, the intro, that you know, you break barriers and you you take some really bold decisions. You got into the 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 victory team power boat. How the hell did you get into that boat? How did you even know how to like drive that thing? You know, and how fast does it go? I mean, yeah. it's one thing going in a Formula One car, but how did you get into that? Because for us, that, you know, when I saw that video, it was very nostalgic because I remember with my late father, we used to go to Mina Siahi and we would always watch the powerboat races and stuff and we would see the victory team. The victory team was like the, the golden jewel of the UAE. There's two things. It was the victory team, the... Uh, and the Godolphin as well, the horse races, you know? So for Sheikh Mohammed, it was this too big thing that put Dubai and uh, the UAE up there. So how did you convince them to get into that boat? Yeah, you know, this is uh, this has really been what everything, that all the successes of our show have been by having a, a little cheeky uh, request <laughs> for the most ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with a little bit of charm and a smile and an act like, yeah, it's fine. Like if anything goes wrong. It's like <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, do you get insurance for all of these things? Like do you, uh, do you, you don't get any like life insurance because you started with insurance, you know, doing price, whatever, comparison for insurance. I was like, yeah. does this guy even have insurance for half the things that he's doing? You know, people won't insure me. Like when I, like insurance brokers don't answer the phone to me anymore <laughs> because they have tried, you know, they're the times that people give you a call and say, listen, do you need insurance? Because I can insure you. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay, now. <laughs> okay, buddy, yeah, this yeah. is what I need you to insure. Yeah. And, and then they basically say, sorry, look, we can't get you covered. So, because the, the problem is, is not just the variety of different things that I do. Yeah. You know, skydiving, powerboat racing, paramotoring, scuba diving, freediving, rock climbing, rowing oceans. Yeah, sleeping on the edge of a cliff. 
Yeah, uh, I saw that one. I was like, that he definitely not get insurance from anybody there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That was in Poland. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but it's the fact that I do it professionally. Yeah. Okay. Then money's involved. So, so then it, it becomes just uninsurable almost. Wow. Um, so, so yeah, it's difficult. So, <clears throat> so, um, so let me just say this in: you're not afraid of dying. Um. No, I am. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't want to die. Yeah. I don't do these things because I think, right, I could die here, but I don't really yeah, care. Yeah. Let's do it. No, no, no. Like, you should see the level of, um, there's a lot more. That goes on behind the scenes. Yeah. The details. We do it. We do something that looks dangerous safely. Wow. We do. Yeah. Like, like I train a lot at a lot of these things. We, we, we do it in a really safe way. Because I, it, so it's always a lot more dangerous when you're trying to film something because you're trying to do it for the camera and you know, your eyes are somewhere else. So, so we have to be really careful about how we do it. Uh, I used to be a little bit more of a risk taker, but now I, you know, I, the main reason is that it's not just necessary about dying. It's also about what if I injure myself? Yeah. Now I can't do my show anymore. Yeah. You know, or, you know, so, or I'll be out of the show for the next year mm. or whatever it is. So, so it's like, right, look after yourself so that I can keep doing it. You yeah. Know? So no, 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 we're, we're really conscious about it because, um, you know, the, the whole prosperity of the show is based yeah. on us being able to continue doing them so and, and that's and that's what you know i think for a lot of people when they think about doing anything in life you know we we have our fears and we we think about things like subconsciously there they'll be haunting us you know when you want to do something so when you decide to do some of these like you know um really uh risk-taking sort of like adventures how do you decide whether okay you know is this worth it or not if something goes wrong, and like you said, sometimes it can be a disability, and it'll be look look at Michael Schumacher, all those races in Formula One, he went on a skiing trip, that was it. He's I think he's still in in bed. He's still bedridden, yeah. right? So, how do you like fight that? And then also, are there any sort of like mitigation that you've done? Like you know, so any things that you've done to sort of say, okay, you know, if something, God forbid, you know. Uh, then I have plan B. Um, so if something goes wrong, well, it would have to be probably a career change. I mean, it really depends what happens. I mean, uh, so we have a production company and that's that's the kind of core of yeah. our shows that produces our shows, but it also produces things for other people. So we can continue doing that and I can continue managing that um, if I was in a cast and couldn't use my legs or something yeah, like yeah. that, you know. Um, so it's not just the our shows that we create. Yeah. Um, and go, and with those fears, how do you deal with those? Mm. Do you think of it? Do you not think of it? And how and 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 how do you manage it? That's what we want to know. Interesting. This is a really good uh, discussion. It's a deep one though. So yeah. So look, when you so when you look at what I do, you're like, wow. That looks dangerous. Yeah. Right? I want to go on the next trip, though. I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I look good. at it, I'm like, yeah, I want to do it, too. Right. Yeah. So when I look at it from a point of view of someone who's not done it before, it, it looks dangerous. So let's say, let's take uh, skydiving as an example, because yeah. skydiving is like a very, very high adrenaline activity. Yeah. Um, so what happens is that it looks like you're jumping off a cliff this big. Right. But then what you do is you go through a number of different things where your hand is held bit by bit. So first of all, you do a tandem jump, right? So yeah. that you're on, someone else is doing all the work. 
but it lowers your fear a little bit. Now, yeah. now the jump seems a little bit less. Then you go and do some wind tunnel stuff just so that you get the hang of how to, how to maneuver, uh, you know, in free fall. Now it starts to seem a little bit easier. Okay. Then, then you jump out with two instructors holding you, right? Yes. And they're going to let go of you for just 20 seconds and they're going to make sure that you pull your shoe. If you don't pull it, they'll pull it for you. Right? Okay. Right? That now brings it down a bit. Now you're going to go out with two instructors, but one of them's going to let go. He's going to come around in front of you and you're going to try and stay looking at him like that. Ah, right? yeah, and you yeah. go through eight jumps where you're practicing maneuvers and bit by bit, they're giving you more control so that you start to become more familiar with what you're doing. Then you're yeah. able to start jumping solo okay. and then you start doing a few other practice. So then what happens is bit by bit that, that really scary sort of uh, jump of faith starts to become less and less and less and less. But you always still have um, s something. You still have to jump out of an airplane at the end of the day. Yeah. It's still pretty scary. So, so there's never the point where you don't feel scared. And my skydive instructor said to me, I said, do you, like, he's done 13,000 jumps. <laughs> right? I said, do you, do you feel scared anymore when you do this? He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, wow. if you ever don't feel scared, it's time to stop. Oh, wow. Yeah. He said, you should always got to feel a little bit scared because scared means that you're going to check everything. You're going to take it seriously. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to remember that this is a dangerous thing if it goes wrong. So being a little bit scared is good, but it's controlled fear. It's not, it's not a fear that's overwhelming. Yes. Right, so same thing when we rode the ocean. Initially, it would be the most petrifying thing in the world, being yeah. out in the middle of the sea, um, you know, in, in a small rowing boat. But we went and learned different things. We went practicing, taking ventures out. So bit by bit, you become more familiar with it. Yeah. And then, and it was still scary. And I remember the first 10 days were particularly scary. But then afterwards, every 40-foot wave that came along, <sighs> we were like, seen these before. <laughs> you know, like, like we didn't care anymore. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we had become accustomed to it. Yeah. So, um, uh, so yes, so you, you can lower the fear by um, taking baby steps to learn a skill. And then once you've learned the skill, you don't take, start taking big strides. You continue taking baby steps. Because as soon as you start thinking, oh, I got this, <laughs> but that's when you make a mistake. Yeah. And it's the negative uh, feedback that gives you, is very difficult to overcome. Mm. So you need to get yourself to a very, very highly skilled level before you start making big risks. And then, you know, like I said, there's still a still some jump you gotta take with everything. So when I'm looking at Daniel, my skydive instructor, and I'm, you know, I remember the first time I went up to jump and we're in we're going up in the plane. I'm cool as hell. Everyone's in the plane. We're all, you know, and then they open the door at five thousand feet and two guys jump out. <laughs> and I see two people just disappear into the oblivion. And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, what are we gonna do? Right? And, like, no, no, no. and then I look at Daniel. I'm like, start rationalizing all the reasons why this is a bad idea. Thinking, yeah. do these people even care if I die? Yeah. Like, none of these people are my family. <laughs> Maybe I should listen to my family. Like, like, is this really the right thing? Yeah, yeah. And then I, then I rationalize it the other way, and then go, no, he's done thirteen thousand jumps. No one's ever died on his watch. He's still doing it and he's got this big smile on his face. Yeah. It's okay. He's not going to let anything happen to you. Yeah. And start rationalizing why it is okay. And then you've got to remember why you do these things in the first place. You know. And mm. for me, a long time ago, uh, in 2014, 
Um, I had, and this was also around the time I had the idea of doing Guy in Dubai. The reason why I did the whole thing yeah. was um, I had a girlfriend at the time. Her mother got terminally ill. Um, I think it's fair to say she wasn't the type of person who had lived life to the max. Mm. Um, she was a housewife. And when she realized that her time is now coming, um, you know, I remember watching her day by day. She'd pray in the morning and she'd pray for five minutes and then for 10 and 20 and an hour. And she knew her time was coming. And unfortunately, she didn't have time to experience all the things she wanted to do. And myself and my ex-girlfriend who, you know, was an inspiration to me also because she went through it all. Um, she says, you know, time's waiting for no one and you've got yeah. to do these things now. That was the reason to do all of this in the first place. So when I'm sat there about to jump out of an airplane, I remember this isn't about dying. This is about doing the things I need to do while I'm alive. And yeah. that will just make me go, okay, it's all right. Get over that edge. Nice. That's amazing. Well, you know, going, uh, I guess, over the edge is, is your latest adventure this year. Yeah, congratulations and welcome back. Um, and also, I think uh, you, you you did something great where you were able to raise what, 150,000 pounds, Yeah. right? Tell us about you rowing in the Pacific. Tell us about you and the Brothers in Oar and, and how did it all come along? This idea, the team, the training and the actual expedition. Yeah, so, well, as you know, the, this vision to do big adventures was there a mm. while back. Yeah. But at the start of uh, 2021, I sat there thinking about my next five years and I was like, right, write down five really big challenges mm. and you're going to get them done in five years. Rowing the ocean wasn't one of them. <laughs> it was, there were some blanks. I, I was like, okay, I want to climb some mountains. I want to, you know, do this and that. Then my friend Ollie, who was a friend from school, mm. told me that he's going to row the Atlantic and okay. he's going to do it with his brother. And I said, oh, amazing. He says, yeah, we're a four-man team. I said, oh, who are your other guys? He's like, well, we don't have them yet, but we're going to find two people. And I said, right, I'm number three. <sighs> I said it without thinking. I said, I'm number three. So then he comes back to me a month later and he says, look, how serious were you? And I was like, well, I was pretty serious. Why? He goes, well, listen, there's a few changes. One is that we're not going to do the Atlantic. We want to do the Pacific Ocean. Okay. It's the bigger ocean. It's the more <laughs> tumultuous ocean. It's, it's uh, tempestuous. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's dangerous. There's um, more sharks. Well, there's more like killer whales. Well, unfortunately, we didn't find that, but it probably does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um, I, the weather conditions can be pretty, pretty yeah. hairy. Um, and he said, look, do you, how serious were you about considering it? And I said, well, I was serious when I said it, but I think I should take 24 hours before committing to anything to go and consult with people who love me and might care about me doing this and who might be worried about me uh, uh, doing this uh, just to see what they have to say and if they try and talk about <coughs> it. He said, okay, you do that, take your time. And then I called him back in like an hour and said, I couldn't find anyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> no one gives a damn anymore. Everyone just stop caring. <laughs> so I, uh, I was in. I, I was just like, look, I didn't have to think about it. I wanted to do it. It was, I, I'm, it was great 
in terms of what I do with my shows because we created a documentary about yeah. it. It was great as a credential for me as an adventurer. Yeah. It was great in terms of ticking off something for my bucket list and an experience that I wanted yeah. to do. So, and it turned out to be um, an amazing experience. Absolutely amazing. I've taken so much from it. I had some life-changing realizations, uh, not just during the row, but in the two months afterwards, living in Hawaii, where I've just got back from, which was a bliss. They joke that I'm having a gap year again at 40 yeah. years old. <laughs> <laughs> so Paris is still on his gap year. So uh, uh, it was amazing. And, um, you know, it was two years of work, raising yeah. funds for sponsorship for the boat, for the yeah. operations. We had a documentary to make as well. So we raised more than what people would normally raise. So it's an expensive endeavor. Oh, know? yeah. You, people, I've heard people say, oh, climbing Everest is really expensive. Yeah. I'll climb Everest four times for yeah, the yeah. price I did, for the price that we did um, rowing an ocean. Are you allowed to disclose it? Sure. Yeah. We, we raised about £150,000 for charity. Mm -hmm. uh, we raised about £250,000, uh, or maybe about, about £230,000 for operations. Okay. So all in all, that's like what? Uh, 300, just under 400,000, 370,000 pounds. Wow. So, so, so for charity and, and, uh, everything, all the costs, that's a lot of money. That's over half a million dollars. So, um, so the biggest, uh, challenge was, was that was raising all that money and putting all that together and the logistics, uh, and learn. And again, we had to go through the whole learning process the same way I did with skydiving, um, learning courses. So First aid, sea survival, navigation, radio navigation, uh, radio communication, wow. all, all these things. Uh, you know, I had my boat license, but we were now going to be doing something way more, yeah. um, let's say, independent. So yeah. we had to really know our stuff. Um, we did a lot of learning, a lot of reading, learning about the boat. I did 250 hours rowing on that boat. We were going out rowing for two days at a time, sleeping yeah. on the boat, all of this. Um And then we flew to Monterey, California, which is, you said San Francisco, it's just yeah. south of San Francisco. Yeah. Um, and we prepared for two weeks. Well, Ollie and I went a little bit before, so it was more like three weeks for me. Um, and the first thing we noticed when we got there was it was really cold. <laughs> and that was something I never really kind of, it never really absorbed in my mind mm. quite how cold it would be. We did check, of, of course. We knew the water was going to be eight to 10 degrees centigrade. But until you're sitting in 10 degree water, you don't really like understand, okay, yeah, that's going to kill me after, after a while. Yeah. If I get this wrong. Yeah. Um, and, um, you then realize that this is, this is going to be quite dangerous and you need to be more prepared with, you know, a few things. So we, you know, went out and start shopping for everything that's going to keep us warm. And mm. so anyway, so we, we, um, we prepared, we set off, And with two years of preparation, after 20 minutes, we start having a dispute about which way north is. Oh, God. Right? Now, th there's one thing that should be probably pretty simple. Yeah. It's understanding which way north is. At least we should all agree on that. Yeah. <laughs> But we, we didn't agree. And the reason why is because our instruments were all not correct. 
So I was doing things by eyesight. I was like, guys, there's no way that's north because there's land. We can still see it. Yeah. That means that's America. That's east right there. Like so. Yeah. And and they're like, no, Paris. The, the, uh, yeah, yeah. The instruments the are instruments not wrong. Are, yeah. But in fact, the instruments were 180 degrees facing the other way, which meant that we were sort of right, but yeah. but, uh, but it's just the other way. So. Could um, you not use your phone? Well, in the end, I was I had it on my on my yeah. um, on my watch. I had a Garmin watch, yeah. and and I was like, look, I can see it on my watch right yeah. here. So we have another reference. Yeah. So in the end, we 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 figured it out pretty quickly. But the, f the what was interesting is the fact that we had gone through two years of training, and we hadn't yet on uh, been able to understand this simple yeah. thing meant that. We were in deep waters. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, okay, yes, you're okay. I get it. We I really were, it. right? So, um, and we were told before we left off, um, prepare yourself for the hardest 48 hours of your life. Wow. This is what it's going to be. And the safety officer, Ian Couch, said to us, in all the times I've overlooked ocean rowing, mm. nobody's ever died. Yeah. He says, someone's going to die. Oh, wow. And he said, just think about that. Someone's going to die. Yeah. It's going to go wrong. Yeah. So it's down to you now. So we left, and um, uh, it was the hardest 48 hours of our life, undoubtedly. After the first day, I got seasick. Oh, wow. Seasickness, when you can't escape it, is hell. <laughs> um, because... Um, uh, it's the nausea and just yeah. constantly feeling weak... Plus the fact that this whole thing is an eating competition because yeah. we're burning. We'll just give you an idea. I, I, we were rowing 14 hours a day each. So wow. the boat was moving 24 hours a day. Oh. So I'm doing 14 hours of rowing a day, which I'm burning about, well, I was eating six to 7,000 calories, burning about 9,000, right? So I'm burning 9,000. But at the point when I had seasickness, I was not able to eat anything. So I went for three days, hardly eating anything, burning 9,000 calories a day. That's like running three marathons a day and not eating, right? So, so I didn't feel good. Uh, and, uh, and upon that, we were in a storm. Um, uh, 40 foot waves start hitting. Uh, a couple of them, you know, were pretty hairy, looked like they were gonna capsize the boat. Um, so yeah, the first, it ended up being 10 days of hell, I call it. I call it in my mind like yeah. the first 10 days of hell yeah, because yeah. It, it was it was uh, it was freezing cold every time like I'd, I'd be in the cabin ready to go on shift and I had to choose which pair of of wet socks I want to put on and and put them into my wet shoes and get out there and then get splashed in water and realize that there was no point making that decision because I was getting soaked anyway so uh, there, and I just couldn't get dry and then uh, the, the the seasickness went after three days and then I was back on track. I was chirpy. I was good. I remember as soon as I felt good again, I ate a whole tub of peanut butter in one go. <laughs> and I came out and I said, I'm back, baby. <laughs> right? And then just... Uh, That's my favorite thing in the world. Yeah. A tub of peanut butter. Well, you would love this because <laughs> I was eating like one of those a day. Yeah. Like just, you could eat... And the great thing was you could eat anything you wanted. Yeah. Like just, just swallow it down. It really was an eating competition. Yeah. And, and I was quite good at that. Once yeah. I got rid of the seasickness, I was really good at just chowing down food. Mm. Um... And um, uh, then, interestingly, oh, wait, I, I've got to tell you. Because this was a total of 39 days. 39 days, yeah. yeah. So here's a story for you. Um, 
So in that first 10 days, I think it was day nine. Yeah. Uh, at that point, I think we'd seen one tanker. So it gives you an idea of how sparse it is out there. Yeah. Right? There, uh, there was no other boats. And, you know, you can see in all directions. There's yeah. nothing. Did it, they, did it like honk at you? Like, dur, dur, that one? No, no, it didn't. Although we did get one. Oh, yeah. I've got a video of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, was, <laughs> that was later on. Um, yeah. But before all of that, we, we get a, an alarm going off on a system called an AIS, which tells us if we're on the same path as another boat. Okay. Now, this is really useful when you're in like coastal areas because sometimes yeah. you are in the same path. But out in deep sea, we never thought we'd hear it. But it goes. And the three guys are not, their eyesight isn't good and they don't have contacts in. So they're oh, like, okay. Paris, can you take a look? So I'm looking around and I'm like, yeah, we've got, we got a cargo ship, but it's about 20 nautical miles away. We're, yeah. we're fine. And they're like, okay, all right, well, keep an eye on it. Uh, it'll probably get closer. <laughs> and then so we carry on. And the AIS is still going off. Yeah. And they say, look, Paris, this is going to go really close. Get the GoPros out because this is going to come close to us. So I start getting the GoPros out and, you know, and we start seeing it coming towards us. And it's starting to come like very close, but we can see it's going to just miss us. Yeah. Right. But it's going to go really close, but we should warn it that we're here. Yeah. Right. So we radio to it. And now I've re-looked back at the footage. I realized it was Barney on the radio. He had actually told it we were on its, he actually told it the wrong side. He said we were on its port side, but we were on its starboard side. No, sorry, oh. other way around. We, he said we were on its starboard side, but we were on its port side. And what that meant was, is when it turned, it turned the wrong way. And now it was coming directly bang on oh to us. 800 meters away from us, <sighs> coming like that, <laughs> and we're just seeing the ship bigger than the Titanic, oh my God. getting bigger and bigger <laughs> and bigger, and 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 the the tone of our voice went from being quite jovial to yeah. now being oh, alert. Oh, we we're like, yeah. right, get the fares, get on the radio, get the life jackets, like all yeah, like yeah, yeah. sudden, like we were in emergency mode because yeah. we knew if we didn't act incredibly decisive within a minute, that boat would have hit us. It would have smashed everything apart. Our life raft would have been one direction in the yeah. wind. It would have gone. Our life jackets could have been somewhere else. We would have been in 10 degree water. We would have got hypothermia within 30 minutes. We would have died yeah. in four hours. And there would have been no yeah. one that could have come to get us within three to four days. So we were way too far from land. So there was a, a serious urgency in our voice. Barney got back on the radio. He's like, we're now directly in front of you. Please yeah, turn yeah. to your port side. <laughs> and it turns about 300 meters before us and misses us by about 150 meters. Yeah. I've got a video of this giant oh ship God. going past and we're just like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> we dodged a bullet there. Uh, so that was, I seem to remember yeah. the last day of the, of the serious cold. And we wake up the next morning and there isn't a ripple in the water. It's like glass and there's not a cloud in the sky and it's sunny. And I just get out. I take off all my clothes and I just wash myself because before it was yeah. too cold yeah, to yeah. wash. And you have to keep clean. You got to, because you don't have a shower. Yeah. So you got to, and any little cut you have is going to get infected if yeah. you don't keep yourself clean. And you've got 39 days to go, so, or 39 days to do this. So, um, so we, we, the sun was out. We can now clean ourselves. I can now wash my clothes and hang them on the rail and get the, so they could dry. So yeah. I now have dry socks. Yeah, what yeah. a great concept, you know? Yeah. 
And we were just loving this day. It was like, and I remember the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life. I got a photo of it. And um, just remember it being a very refreshing day. We wake up the next day. It's exactly the same. And we realize after a couple of hours, we're like, guys, like we have no wind and no waves. We're not going anywhere. And if we don't <laughs> row really hard, we're yeah. going to stay here for the rest of our lives. Yeah, yeah. It may yeah. look nice, it may be beautiful, but we're in some kind of still pond in the middle of the Pacific that we've got to row to get out of because we need the wind and the waves because they propel us. Um, so, so we then started you know, really pulling on the oars, uh, trying to get through, and finally started getting into some, some wind. It w wasn't quite behind us, but slowly the winds, as we kept g getting closer and closer, started getting uh, dead onto Hawaii. Um, do you want the story of the, uh, we hit a storm in the end. We hit two yeah. storms. One, one was in the first 10 days, yeah. and one was in the last five days. I mean, oh, we, we, I, uh, you gotta tell us like in a minute. You gotta summarize it because we're we're running out of time. Okay, yeah, that's why I asked. Okay, so, okay, you want mm. me to summarize it quickly? Well, okay, really quickly. Uh, we get a call from our weather routers. They say, look, there's a low pressure over Hawaii. Uh, it could result in a storm. Um, we'll let you know. They get back to us and say a storm's gonna hit you tonight in the middle of the night. Um, it's gonna be pretty heavy, but you should be all right. We're like, okay, guys, storm's coming. Get ready for this, right? Um, middle of the night, bang, bang, H Harry opens the door. I always know it's an emergency when, when, Harry, <laughs> when Harry wakes me up. Because yeah. Ollie shares the cabin with me, so yeah. Ollie wakes me up. Yeah. If Harry's there to tell me to wake up, it means there's been a problem. Yeah. Um, and he says, Paris, we've, put, we've tried to do a maneuver. I won't tell you the full details. We've got a rope wrapped around the rudder. Yeah, yeah, I know. And now we can't steer. Oh God. And now we're side on to 40 foot waves. And he says, we can't see where they're coming from. And they're about to capsize the boat. I'm like, he's like, I need to on deck now. <laughs> close the door. Five seconds after you close the door, the boat went oh, wow. upside down. And oh back my round God. again. Wow. And we hit a wave and I was like, right, I do not have time to get ready. Get out now. And I was just like, right, you know, and you gotta be careful because if you get out slightly delirious from waking up, you can make a safety error, like not clipping yourself in. Oh, yes, yes. So I've got to be careful. So, you know, I took the GoPros as well because I want to film it and I clipped it on and and we're, we're stuck and we don't know what to do. Anyway, long story short, we fixed the problem. I ended up having to hold Harry over the edge of the, uh, the yeah. boat to pull out the, the lines. We got, we got back on course. Um, when the sun came up in the morning when I was rowing, we realized we got 40 foot waves and huge wind but it's all directly pinpoint behind us. Oh my God. And we were going down those waves like log flumes at a theme park, like in hysterics, <laughs> yeah, yeah. going, whoa! <laughs> right, like just like having a race to see who could get the fastest yeah. uh, time. And we ended up getting the fastest one day recording on the ocean. Uh, we got 91 nautical miles, oh. which is about what, like 140, 150 kilometers yeah. um, uh, in one day. Yeah. Uh, which was just incredible. Yeah. Everybody back home, sorry, not home, everybody, all of our friends and family had now arrived in Hawaii. Yeah. They're seeing the news everywhere about the storm because it's hitting yeah. one of the other islands. Yeah. There. So they're panicking like hell, yeah. worried about us, worried you know, for our safety. Everyone's worried about us. They haven't heard from us. Um, and we were totally fine to the point that we weren't even rowing in the last day because yeah. it was just taking us. Yeah, yeah. We had a bet. 
how far away we're going to be when we see land. We were told it's going to be 19 nautical miles. We bet 60, Harry bet 45. We got to 40, hadn't seen it. We got to 30, still hadn't seen land, and sun was going down. And we're thinking, have we got the right place? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We wake up in the morning, 5.30 in the morning, the sun comes up, and bang, right in front of us is the beautiful island of Kauai, the Garden Island. Um, nice. First time we've seen land in 39 days. The sun came up with this orange glow, and at the same time, rain hit 360 in every direction and created this mist on the water yeah. that just illuminated yellow from the sun. And we knew that this was the last time we we're going to get rained on and have to go to bed in it because yeah. we're, we're, we're sleeping in a bed tonight yeah. and we're going to have a shower. And we took off our tops and we just <sighs> in the air and just knew that, just enjoyed the rain as we rode in. And as we were coming in, there were 200 of our friends and family on a pier waiting yes. for us. Yeah. Uh, and it was the most emotional thing. Um, you know, my mum was there. Uh, um, and the one thing that I'm very proud to say was evident to everybody who saw us come in was we were incredibly united. Yeah. These types of things tear people apart. It's in, almost yeah, yeah. impossible to be on a yeah. boat not much bigger than this table. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, with four people, stressed out, blisters on your hands, sleep deprived, and not f yeah. flip at each other. But we had formed into the most supportive team uh, that I've ever been part of, and we had each other's back, and we supported each other. So when we got to the other side, uh, we were united. And everybody was like, wow, like, like that, that's incredible. And yeah. I, I just learned this huge amount about gratitude, having not had anything, not even a bed or a shower and having stripped of everything. And then, you know, you're there looking at your family who have supported you and, yeah. you know, you just, you just yeah. thank everything that, yeah, yeah. That, that you're alive, that you have these people for you, you know. Paris, thank you so much for, for sharing this really really it's, it's truly inspirational I'm, I'm learning a lot about myself as well and and some of the adventures that i want to now uh take off my bucket list you know from guy in dubai to guy in the sky guy in the sea god knows guy in the space I, i'm sure you're you're planning that because now you know sultan miadi just came back as well but thank you so much for joining us on on xeno talks and i know this is the first of multiple series we're going to have because we still want to learn more about that adventure and also like you know what happened after and and what's going to happen after this. Yeah. So thank Look, it's you been so an much. absolute honor. It's always great to see you. You've been a friend of mine for a long time and loved what you're doing with this podcast. So thank you. Here's so much. to the success of the podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.